The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. chapter 19, the first 16 verses. So if you have your Bibles, please uh, turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen uh, for you to be able to follow along. chapter 19, starting at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing out to you that. See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold, the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them. Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greatest sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Galatah. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that we can spend time together now looking through. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. 
as he has inspired these words for us today. Amen. If we're to read John's account of Jesus as a story, it might on the surface appear to be a tragedy. It's a tragic story of betrayal, arrest, denial, and rejection. While it's true that all these tragic elements are present, and they're all happening to Jesus, there is one thing that keeps standing out. And it keeps begging us to look deeper than just the surface story. That is the thing of Jesus' demeanor. And we see how it contrasts the demeanor and the actions and the words of those around him. We first notice that in chapter 18, verse 4 of the, the section we're working through here in this series, John tells us there that then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Who do you see? Jesus is standing there in the garden. The, the soldiers and his betrayer has come. They're an intimidating force. And rather than panic, knowing all that was about to happen to him, Jesus steps forward and steps into the Lord's will as it is set out before him. He's not panicked or taken by surprise of, by anything that is going on. And despite all that is happening around him, he is in total control. I hope you've already noticed that as, we, as we've been going through chapter 18. We'll see it still as we go through chapter 19. What on the surface might read as a tragedy, deeper down, something bigger is going on. Now, passage this morning begins with Jesus being flogged by Roman soldiers. Jesus appears to have been flogged twice by the Roman soldiers. The first time is this instance that John uh, records for us here. The second time appears to be just before he was crucified, where he was stripped bare and whipped within an inch of his life. Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, John says. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. This flogging is not something that the Romans administered floggings in, in three, probably three different ways. They're not all the same. We might describe the less severe form as a, a minor flogging, if you can call it that, if that is possible. As for something that was reserved for less serious offences, maybe a, a hooligan disrupting the peace, something like that, they might get a bit of a trailing off. 
And that would often come with a, a warning as well, a severe warning. You know, that don't you do that again. There'll be more instead. The next form of flogging is the more brutal beating. That was reserved for criminals. There is always a um, uh, criminals who had committed more serious offences, but they weren't deserving of death. There was another flogging that would come with that. That was the brutal scourging. The second type of flogging that Jesus gets later on. That is something that was extremely brutal. You've seen the passion, the cross that Jesus feels for. You would know a very visual representation of what that might have looked like. This last form of flogging is always associated with a death penalty or another punishment. In fact, sometimes the victims die from the wounds they sustain during this flogging. The flogging, as I mentioned, uh, the verse 1 says, is probably the most minor flogging, but they're just seeking to humiliate Jesus, to give him a warning, to teach him a lesson. It's also a flogging where Pilate is probably trying to appease the Jews. Rough, rough Jesus up a bit. Dress him up, mock him. And then Pilate can go about the rest of his day. But Jesus is not seen as a threat to the Romans. Instead, he's just treated as a bit of sport by them. Give him a beating, dress him up as a goat. Hopefully, the Jews would take the hint. But that wasn't good enough for the Jewish leaders. They don't just want him humiliated, they want him dead. So when Pilate brings out Jesus, after giving him a beating, he says, I find no guilt in him. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt. Pilate has already mentioned Jesus' innocence in his assessment of him back in John 18, verse 38. And here in John 19, he maintains that assessment. We might actually detect a, a hint of sarcasm, a sarcastic taunt in his words to the Jews. When the Jews call for Pilate to crucify this innocent man, Pilate says, you want him crucified? Well, fine. You go do it. He's innocent, in my opinion. Pilate's taunt is then met with a change of tact by the Jews. He may seem innocent to you, by our Lord, he's guilty. The Jews answered Pilate, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? 
that Jesus gave him that answer. We have a law, they say, and our reading of that law is that this man must die. The law they're referring to is possibly Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16, where it says, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. This is quite possible. John's already recorded for us an instance where they sought to do this to Jesus. And we find that back in John 10, verses 22 to 39. At the time of the feast of dedication, sorry, at that time the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. They accuse him of blaspheming, claiming to be God. And that is what Jesus is doing. He is claiming to be God. But he is not blaspheming because he is God. And his works, what he is doing, are the works of God. They are proof of his divine identity. The irony is that though they can recite God's words, they can't recognize the word of God when he comes in the flesh. They fail to recognize God's words when they are put into action. So when the servant described in Isaiah 53 is standing before them, they fail to recognize him. At this point, it seems that Pilate is more interested in seeing justice upheld than the Jews are. So he goes back to speak further with Jesus, only to find himself being all the talking. It's a one-way conversation. Jesus isn't giving him much in reply. Imagine Pilate's frustration. He thinks Jesus is innocent. He's standing up 
trying to stand up to the chief priests and the Jewish leaders and the mob, trying to stand up to them for Jesus there. And all they're doing is trying to manipulate the situation to try to force him into killing Jesus. Pilate goes back in to Jesus, and Jesus gives him nothing. He won't speak. Jesus seems, in Pilate's eyes, to be underestimating the gravity of the situation. So in frustration, Pilate takes the conversation to the topic of authority. Look at verse 10. Pilate says to Jesus, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Now, Jesus, for you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greatest thing. Paul basically says to Jesus, I have authority over your life at this point. It's up to me to choose whether you live or die. Jesus, you've misread the situation. This is the point where you're supposed to beg me to let you go. You're supposed to come along. You're supposed to plead for your life to me. You've given me nothing. Jesus counters by pointing out to Pilate exactly where his present authority over Jesus comes from. Pilate, you need to understand something. You're having this authority over me in this instance is only because God has put me here. God has put you here. See, the fact that Jesus is standing before Pilate is this, at this point is the result of Jesus' own deliberate choice to be there. Verses 17 and 18 of 23. For this reason, Jesus says, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Pilate having the authority to release or crucify Jesus is part of God's will. It's part of God's redemptive plan. However, that being the case, does not absolve people of their sin in this matter. So after talking of heaven's sanctioning of Pilate's authority over him, Jesus can in the same breath, or maybe you took the breath, Go on then and talk about the sinful actions of people. While Pilate is guilty of making a spineless, politically motivated decision that we will see in verse 16, it's actually fairly passive 
and just told silence. He didn't orchestrate or initiate the betrayal of Jesus and the handing over of Jesus to him. Pilate is Jesus says someone else is guilty of greater sin. Says he who delivered me over to you is guilty of greater sin. Now, if we want to look into the context of that phrase, he who delivered me over to you, we need to go back to John 18. So the Greek word behind this phrase, this phrase to deliver me over, is paradidomi. This word can mean to hand over or to betray or to deliver over. So when we consider who handed Jesus over, we can see how that comment could possibly relate to Judas, who in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 18, betrayed Jesus. That's a possibility. More certainty, however, comes with looking at verses 30, 35, and 36 of John 18. There we can see how this sort of statement applies to Caiaphas, the high priest, and the Jewish leaders. Seems like the Israelites, the Jews in this picture, have a propensity for handing over and betraying Jesus to the Romans. Jesus, on the other hand, is set up in contrast to that. Rather than being the one who takes what is in his hands and handing it over to, to those who would do him harm, Jesus actually keeps those safe who the Father has given him. In fact, John 10 tells us that rather than hand their lives over to preserve his own. Jesus, in fact, chooses to lay his life down so that they might live. In verses 12 to 16, we see Pilate's two colors start to shine through. The governor who earlier taunted the Jews now cowers in fear that they will tell on him. When the Jews suggest that releasing this wannabe king would raise questions of Pilate's loyalty to Caesar, Pilate rushes to make his official judgment as Rome's representative. Here we see that Pilate appears to be concerned with upholding justice, yet he is willing to forego justice if it serves his own agenda. So as the day lengthens and the sun gets higher in the sky, Pilate takes his seat and has Jesus brought out one more time. We notice in the last part of verse 15, the final words of this section are actually found on the lips of the Jews. Final words of condemnation come from God itself. While their declaration of allegiance to Caesar might have appeared 
on the surface as pretend loyalty in an attempt to force private hand. This is a weighty statement, especially in light of Israel's covenant relationship with God. Let's pop back to 1 Samuel 8 just briefly. This is where Israel first asked for a king. And God says to Samuel of Israel's request, It is me who thou hast requested. And all the leaders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your way. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you but have rejected me from being king over them. The chief priests in John 19 reject God as king once again. In declaring we have no king, no king but Caesar. The Jewish chief, chief priests are not just rejecting Jesus as their king, they're rejecting the kingdom of God. And they're rejecting its promised messianic king. So we have no king but Caesar. It might be a stretch, but we're humans. We can sort of understand the human elements of this story here. The Jewish leaders were jealous of Jesus. They saw Jesus as a threat to their position. He didn't fit in their messianic mold, so they used the Romans to get rid of him. Maybe we can also understand understand Pilate's actions. He finds no guilt in Jesus. Nor does he see Jesus as a legitimate threat to himself or Rome. But he's worried that word will get back to his boss in Rome. That they will gob on him and tell his boss that he didn't deal with this supposed king properly. So he decides to put justice aside and make his Jesus problem go away. Maybe we can understand these human elements in this story because we can relate to the human elements in this story. Maybe there are times where we see a bit of the Jewish leaders Maybe there are times where we find ourselves sitting on the seat of judgment by Pilate. Friends, there is more to this story than just in this page of justice. 
Jesus being treated unjustly is part of a bigger plan that you can only imagine. Part of a plan that is more personally relevant to you than you can imagine. Jesus was denied the justice of Rome so that we might receive the forgiveness of God. Jesus bore the penalty that our sins deserves so that we might receive God's grace. Is there anything in this passage this morning that we beg you to go deep? Have you been able to get below the surface level reading of this? Able to see that this is part of a bigger plan than you could ever imagine. Have you been able to see that this is part of a, a plan that is more personally relevant to you than you could ever imagine? Jesus was denied justice. Justice was still served because in his taking our place, God can be justly show us his love. Let me pray. Our loving Lord and Heavenly Father, that today will be a reminder to us the tragedy can be seen something different in life of your bigger picture. Father, I thank you that in, in all that we're reading through, you are showing us what is part of your plan. There is something bigger than us going on. There is something more personal for us going on through what is happening to Jesus. Thank you for that, Lord. Be gracious to us, I pray, and open our eyes to see that what Jesus did for you. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.